In the first two ayat that we studied yesterday, in which the parents' rights are mentioned, what do we see? That how much parents are being defended over here. How much their rights are being advocated over here. That regardless of how they are with you, you are only to do ihsan with your parents. Why? Because remember that they are the ones who raised you. They are the ones who looked after you when you were young. And as we discussed yesterday, that is no easy task. And وَقُلْ رَبِّ رَحَمْهُمَا كَمَا رَبَّيَانِي صَغِيرًا And remember the meaning of the word رَبَّيَانِي is from tarbiyah. That both of them did my tarbiyah. I am what I am because of them. I do what I do because they trained me. Think about it. How much is it that we owe to our parents? Think about how much they have taught us. Not just how to speak, but even how to pray. I mean, think about the very belief that our parents ingrained in us from a very young age. Majority of us, alhamdulillah, we were born into Muslim families. Our parents developed us spiritually. They developed us physically. They developed us emotionally, mentally. Really, we are indebted to them for their ihsanat. Their ihsan on us is so great. And earlier in the surah, we learned about in ahsantum ahsantum li anfusikum. If you do good, you do good for yourself. Meaning, when you do good, you will benefit from it. So our parents, they did good to us. And if we are not doing good in return to them, who is telling us to do good in return to them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And after yesterday's class, many people came up to me and they asked me, but what if my parents have done this? And what if my parents are like this? And what if my relatives have done this? That's exactly the point. Regardless of how your parents have been, just remember their one ihsan. They looked after you. Okay, for the sake of argument, what if a person says, well, my parents never reared me. I was born and I was transferred into another household and over there my aunt or my grandmother or whoever, they raised me. Okay, they raised you. However, who gave birth to you? Who gave birth to you? Who carried you? in their belly, while their body was you know, right before them. Think about it. How difficult is pregnancy? How difficult is childbirth? Even if a mother doesn't nurse the baby, doesn't change a single diaper, still carrying the baby, the emotional and the physical changes that are going on in the body, they really take a toll on the woman. So that ihsan also is sufficient for us to do ihsan in return to our parents. And because we can never do justice to the rights of the parents, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teach us? Make dua for them. رَبِّ رَحَمْهُمَا كَمَا رَبَّيَانِي صَغِيرًا Make dua for them when you are young. Make dua for them when you are old. Make dua for them when your parents are alive. And make dua for your parents even when they have passed away. Because we learn from hadith that a person, you know, in the hereafter he will say, that how come my ranks are being raised? I never did this good, or I never did this much good. And he will be told, your child made dua for you. Your child sought forgiveness for you. So seeking forgiveness for our parents. You know, sometimes it happens that you get these flashbacks, those really bad childhood memories. You know, they come and haunt you at times. You know, my mother didn't let me go to a single birthday party. 
Why? And then you cry, you know, in your heart. Or I wanted that toy so bad and I still remember and I begged and begged and begged but my mom didn't let me get it. She didn't buy it for me. We remember these things. But remember, a time will come when you will appreciate what your parents did to you. The kind of things that they decided for you. And there might be things that you will never understand. Or perhaps you see certain faults in your parents. Perhaps their manner of speech. Perhaps your father's treatment with your mother. Or perhaps how they are with the rest of the society. It's possible that you see their faults. But still, what is your duty? You do ihsan and you make dua for your parents. That, oh Allah, guide them. Oh Allah, forgive them. Because parents have done ihsan upon us. So they deserve it from us. That we always wish well for them, we want the best for them, and we make dua for them. Think about Ibrahim salam. What did his father do? What did his father do? First of all, he was a mushrik. And what is shirk? Is it a small crime? What kind of a crime is it? It's the worst crime ever. Because of shirk, a person cannot enter Jannah. Right? So first of all, his father was a mushrik. This is zulm against who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Secondly, how did his father deal with him? With Ibrahim alayhi salam? What did he do? Did he rebuke him? Of course. Did he threaten him? Didn't he say to him that you better stop what you're doing otherwise I'm going to stone you to death. I'm going to kill you. And he didn't stop there when the people were collecting firewood in order to burn Ibrahim who was involved in setting up that fire. His own father. So this is zulm against who? Ibrahim Right? So Ibrahim what did he say? What was his reaction? Did he say, fine, okay, whatever. Allah chose me as a prophet. I'm going to be happy on my own. You go to hell and you stay there. I'm okay. Was that his reaction? What was his reaction? سَأَسْتَغْفِرُ لَكَ I will seek forgiveness for you from my Lord. I will beg Allah to forgive you. Because yes, you do shirk. Yes, you wanted to kill me. However, you are my father. However, you looked after me when I was young. And that ihsan is sufficient that I overlook what you've done to me and what else you do. I will beg Allah to forgive you. And then what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade him from making dua. Right? Because when it was clear to Ibrahim salam that his father died as a mushrik and his abode would be held, and that was it. No questions asked. No, no room for argument. Nothing. So this example is sufficient for us that no matter how our parents are religiously, what their morals are, what their values are, how they behave with the rest of the society, what their ethics are, forget about it. That's got nothing to do with you. How they deal with you, that is also their problem. One of our biggest problems is that we focus on the mistakes of others we focus on the rights that we deserve from others, but we neglect the responsibilities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. Leave the sins of people to them and worry about your obligation. Yes, fine, your parents were mean to you. Okay, fine, your parents did something really bad and nasty. That's their problem. Leave it to them. 
Leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are not going to be questioned about how our parents looked after us. We are not going to be questioned about what our parents did. What are we going to be questioned about? Our actions. How we were with our parents. What we did with our parents. Whether we did ihsan to them or not. Because a mother, a father, they deserve ihsan from a person regardless of what their religion is. Regardless of how their ikhlaq is. Remember Asma radiallahu anha, the daughter of Abu Bakr? What happened to her when she was in Medina, she migrated to Medina. Her mother, who was still a mushrik, came from Makkah to visit her. Asma radiallahu anha, I mean, she was confused that what do I do? Here is my mushrik mother. Okay? She still commits shirk. I have left that way and I'm staying here and she's coming to me. What am I supposed to do? What did the Prophet ﷺ advise her? Sili ummaki. Maintain, join ties with your mother. And this is the reason why we have been told to do ihsan, right? Because when you do ihsan, then hopefully your relationship will improve. Hopefully the other person will realize their mistake. And hopefully they will become a better person. So be concerned about our obligation to our parents. And hopefully, inshallah, with our ihsan to them, our obedience to them, when we improve our behavior as a good Muslimah, as someone who learns the Qur'an, who studies the Qur'an, who recites the Qur'an, then they will also begin to appreciate the religion that we are so strongly attached to. Many times it happens that girls, I've seen this, that when they start wearing their hijab, they don't have much support from their parents. Or when they want to continue studying the Qur'an, the parents are not that supportive. Why? Because the hijab is on, but the akhlaq has not improved. Salahs are being performed, but still parents are being spoken to rudely. They're being disrespected at home. They're being disobeyed. They're being looked down upon. Why would your parents support you? Tell me. Because they would think that this al-huda you're going to is making you a worse person than before. So remember, Do ihsan towards your mother. Do ihsan towards your father. Forget about what they're doing. That is in their book. We have to be concerned about what is going into our book of deeds. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not left this matter to us. What do we learn in the ayah? وَقَضَارَ book. Your Lord has decreed. He has decided this. He's not given you an option. We don't have an option. Should I do ihsan or should I do bad with my parents? We don't have that option. What's the only option we have been given? Ihsan. Do ihsan towards your parents. And then, after ihsan towards the parents, give to others their rights also. Who? The close relatives and who else? The needy and the travelers. Give to them their rights. It's amazing how on the one hand we're being told to do ihsan towards our parents, but in that process don't forget the rights of others. Don't forget the rights of others. Dil qurba includes who? Your siblings. Alright? It includes your children. It includes, because close relation, yes, primarily it is through blood, but also through marriage. Right? People are related to you not just through the bond of blood, but also through the bond of marriage. So also the right of the husband, the spouse. Because sometimes it happens that 
people are so concerned about the rights of their parents, doing ihsan towards the parents, that they neglect the rest of the family. They neglect the rest of the family. So for example, a woman is so concerned about you know, looking after her parents, for instance, that she will forget about her husband completely. I don't care if you're moving to a different country for your work, I'm not moving from here. I don't care what's going on in your life, I have to be with my mom. I have to be with my dad. I mean, it's understandable if there's a critical situation as a temporary solution, but on a permanent basis, how can the husband's right be neglected? Or how can the wife's right be neglected? Vice versa. Ihsan towards parents, an obligation. Fulfilling the rights of the relatives is also an obligation. So it's not either this or that. What is it? It's both. Because we are related to both. And then, when a person feels that relatives are expecting way too much from him and he's not able to fulfill their rights or he's not able to make them happy, he's not able to satisfy them, then what? What have we been told? That if you must turn away, then what should you do? What should you do? Say good words. Say good words. And this is a very important lesson that anytime we have to refuse someone's request, what should we do? How? How should we refuse? فَقُلْ لَهُمْ قَوْلًا مَيْسُورًا An easy word. And then we've been told about how to spend. Right? That how should a person spend? In moderation. Neither excessively, wastefully, so that he's wasting his money, ruining it, literally burning it, by spending it in cause of sin, in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And nor spending everything. And on the other hand, What's the other extreme? Stinginess. So stingy that a person just closes his hand. Holding on to his money, not letting anything go. Don't do that. Why? Because who is your provider? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He is fully aware of you. He knows what your needs are at a particular time. And He will provide you. And the next ayah, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ And do not kill your children. Aulad is a plural of walad. And the plural form, awlad, includes children, whether they're male or female, whether they're healthy or deformed, whatever it is. Awlad, your children, do not kill them. Do not take their life away. Because who alone has the right to give life and take it away? The creator of life. And who is he? Allah Azza wa Jal. So, wala taqtulu awladakum. Do not kill your children. Neither before birth, nor after birth. Why? Khashyata imlaq. Many people, why is it that they kill their children during pregnancy or after birth? What's the reason? Fear of imlaq, poverty. What is imlaq? Imlaq is actually the fear that a person will become poor, that what he has will finish, that what he has will not be enough. So, for example, a person has, you know, a pizza, right? A big pizza, a large pizza. And then he sees that, oh, there are three people who's going to eat this pizza. And he thinks that's not going to be enough. He feels that he won't be able to eat enough. Why? Because there are two guys who are going to eat that pizza with him. He feels that it's going to be less. You understand? Now many times what happens, if we have a sandwich and we're eating it and somebody comes and sits next to us, we can break our sandwich into half and share with them. But what's our fear? It's not going to be enough for me. It's not going to be enough for me. Forget about the sandwich. 
If you have a bag of chips, and you know those small bags which when you see, look from outside, they look so stuffed, but when you open, there's literally like seven or eight crisps in it. Right? So then before you open it, you're thinking, should I even offer this person? Because if I will, I'm going to run out of it. What am I going to get out of it? So when a person has this mindset that what I have will become less, we will run out of our savings, our money will become less, I don't have that much income, then what happens? He becomes stingy. He says, no, no, two are enough. No, no, three are enough. No, no, I am enough. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't kill your children out of this fear of poverty. Why? Because نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُهُمْ We provide them. How? Through you. We provide them. I mean, think about it. When a woman is pregnant, what happens in her body? Blood volume, it increases significantly. Did she add that blood in her body? Did she go to a blood bank and say that, oh, I'm pregnant, I need a lot of blood, so please put in blood in me? No. Allah provided the child, that blood, how? Through the mother. The mother didn't have anything to do with it. All she had to do was just satisfy her cravings. That's it. And in satisfying her cravings, what happened? The child got all the nutrition that it needed. نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُهُمْ We provide them. وَإِيَّاكُمْ And you too. Allah is the provider of the parents as well as the children. Allah is the provider of every single individual. And if a person kills another out of fear of poverty, Allah says, إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ Indeed, they're killing. Kana it is ever خِطُؤًا A sin that is kabira, that is great. It's a great sin. It's a very serious crime. It's a serious error. And khit is used for a sin that is done deliberately. Meaning, who thinks that, yeah, killing a person is okay? Who says that? I mean, people fight for it, that yes, we should be allowed to abort, or we should be allowed to, you know, mercy kill someone. Right? However, why is it that there are so many people advocating against this? Because the fitra doesn't accept that it's okay. Right? Even if 50 people say it's okay, there will be many, many more people who will be saying, it's not okay to take somebody's life. Khit'an kabira. It's a major sin. It's a serious crime. So what do we learn over here? In the previous ayat, we were told not to be stingy. Why is it that a person is stingy? Out of greed. I want everything for myself. If I have a child, I will have to spend this much money on their diapers, this much money on their food, this much money on their toys, and that means a bigger car, and a bigger house, and another car seat. Before even having a child, what is it that people think about? Expenses. Can we afford? What does Allah say? You are not the provider. Allah is the provider. And this is so true, that with the coming of a child, what happens? The income increases. With the coming of the child, for some reason, there's so many benefits. Financial, ease. Why? Because Allah is providing. Allah is the provider. So don't think about this ever. That if a person has a child, they have to provide for them. Yes, you have to adopt the means, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate them for you. You know, it's amazing how sometimes people talk about this. That really, when we found out we were having a child, all of a sudden, promotion. And then we got a job. And then money came in. Why? Because the risk of the child is now coming through you. 
نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُهُمْ وَإِيَّاكُمْ This is why إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ كَانَ خِطْءًا كَبِيرًا It is a major sin. In Bukhari and Muslim it is recorded that Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he said that I said to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, which sin is the worst? He replied, to set partners with Allah when He has created you. Meaning to worship other than Allah, whereas He is the only one who created you. He said, then what? He said, to kill your child out of fear that he will eat with you. To kill your child out of fear that you will have to feed another person. Out of this fear. He said, then what? He said, to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. Being someone who lives so close to you, whose haq is so great, yet you cheat them. So these are all major sins. And what does it show to us? That killing children, what is it? It's an act of murder. It's a qatl. Because Allah says, إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ Which means that a child, even if he cannot speak, even if he cannot defend himself, who is he? A person, an individual. If he's living, he has a soul, he has a ruh. He's an individual who will either go to Jannah or Jahannam. We have no right to take their life away. We have no authority to kill them, to murder them. This is a serious crime. But what if a woman is in a situation where, for example, she becomes pregnant and the doctor says that really you are not able to bear this pregnancy. If you do, if you continue, you're going to die because you have this issue, this issue, this issue. You know, you and your child both will die if you continue with this. So in that situation, can she abort the pregnancy? Where there is a serious risk, not a risk such as, I already get so tired and I think I've had my share of babies. In that situation, where there is a serious risk to the mother's health, not just health, her life, danger, serious danger. In that situation, what should be done? Lesser of the two evil. Right? That either you let the mother die or you take the baby out so that the mother can live. You understand? So, the general principle is that killing children is not okay. Neither in the womb nor outside the womb. However, when the child is in the womb, you understand, the child is in the womb, the mother is pregnant, then there are certain exceptions. Like the one that I mentioned to you. But remember, this should be before four months of pregnancy. You understand? Before four months of pregnancy, because at that time the ruh has not come in. For a genuine reason, for a legitimate reason, it is permissible to abort. However, after four months of pregnancy, after four months of pregnancy, again, if there is a risk to the mother's life, that's a different story. But for any other reason, if a person kills, aborts the child, then that will be considered as murder. And remember earlier we learnt that if a person commits murder, then what has to be done? What has to be done? Blood money has to be given. Kafara, diya. Alright? So in this situation, if a mother aborts her child after four months of pregnancy, for no genuine reason, okay, and even if it's a genuine reason, but because after four months, the ruh has come in, it's a human being. For whatever reason, if the child is aborted, then what has to be done? Blood money has to be given. And what is the blood money? Kafara, a male or female slave. But if that is not possible, then the equivalent value in 
camels has to be given. And what is that? Five. Because the diya of the fetus is one-tenth of the diya of his mother. And what's the diya of a person, of an adult? Fifty camels. So what would be one-tenth of that? One-tenth of that would be five. You know something that, oh, well, it was done, so forget about it. This is a serious crime. It's like murder. Who would this be given to? To the heirs of the child. Except for the killer. So for example, if the mother decided herself, and she went and got the abortion done, she signed the papers, all right? then she has to pay the blood money. To who? To who? To the heirs. Some scholars have even said that the doctor has to. The doctor has to. So be careful about what you study and what you become. Because if you get a job like this, that you're performing abortions, you know what that means. You know what that means? That the crime of murder is on you. It's a sin. And that means that a person has to make up for it. إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ كَانَ خِطْءًا كَبِيرًا Go ahead. Okay. What if, you know, it's found out that the child is going to be severely deformed or unhealthy and going to have serious health issues, then in that situation can the child be aborted in the fetus? Some scholars say that before four months of pregnancy, it's okay. Why? Because the ruh is not there. You understand? The soul has not been breathed into the fetus. So before four months of pregnancy, it's okay. However, after four months of pregnancy, no way. Not at all. Why? Because now there is a ruh in the child. If he dies by himself, which will happen in many cases, alhamdulillah. And if he doesn't, we have no right to take their life away. After four months of pregnancy. You understand? Just Friday actually, I was in this class and this lady, she shared her experience of how in her pregnancy, she was told over and over again by the doctors that you know that she said every week I would go for an ultrasound. Every week. And every time they would tell me, just abort, just abort, why don't you? And she said, I didn't have the heart to and I didn't. And she said her child was born perfectly healthy. Perfectly healthy. And this is not one story only that you will hear. There are many stories like this. So remember, before four months of pregnancy, if there is a genuine, legitimate reason, okay, abortion may be done, no diya, no kafara. After four months of pregnancy, abortion may not be done at all. And if there is a legitimate reason, like there is a serious risk to the mother's life, then abortion may be done, however, however, diya, kafara. And if there was no legitimate reason and still a person did the abortion, then again, they have to pay the blood money. Clear? إِنَّ قَتْلَهُمْ كَانَ خِطْءًا كَبِيرًا وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا Don't even go close to zina. Don't even go near unlawful sexual intercourse. Why? If you ever Google abortion, Islam, QA, you will find majority of the questions are related to pregnancy because of zina. Pregnancy because of zina. That what if a girl becomes pregnant because she had zina and now the family is concerned about the well-being of the girl and the image of the family, the reputation of the family about her future because the guy who got her pregnant is not interested in her anymore. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us keep away from zina because this is a door to many problems. Many, many problems. وَلَا تَقْرَبُ zina. Look at the words. 
لَا تَقْرَبُوا وَرَسْ قُرْبُ To be near. Don't even go near zina. Meaning, don't put yourself in a situation where you will fall into zina. Don't allow yourself to fall into zina. And the thing is that no man can commit zina with a woman. Zina. I'm not talking about rape. I'm talking about zina. He cannot do it unless she agrees. She lets him. I mean, she allows him to enter her life. She gives him the chance. Only then. So, la taqrabu. As soon as, you know, these warning signs appear, shut the door. Go away. Don't stay in that situation. Run away from it. Because zina doesn't happen just like that. That, oh, two people saw each other and they just did zina. No. There's a long story before that. They have known each other. They have spent time with one another. They have been texting one another. And they've been, you know, sitting on the bus together and sitting in their classes together next to each other. It goes step by step by step by step. This is how it is. And the thing is that when a person reaches the had of zina, meaning when he falls into zina, then what does it mean? There is no haya left. There is no modesty, no shyness left. Nothing. I mean, a woman, a Muslim woman, she's supposed to be modest. She's supposed to have haya. And part of that haya is to cover her body. To cover her head. Part of that haya is to not even touch a non-mahram man. And if she falls into zina, what does that show? There is no shyness, no modesty left. Many people, they have an issue. Why isn't sexual intercourse outside of marriage allowed in Islam. Everybody does it. It's so common. What's the big deal? Why not? Because the thing is that if a person reaches this limit, that there is no haya, there is no modesty, there is no shyness, then what will happen? Then a person can do any wrong action. Because this is what we have been told. إِذَا لَمْ When you do not have haya, then go do whatever you want. Then there's no limits. Then there's no stopping. Then after zina, lies will come. And you know people are willing to leave their families even, and kill their children even, murder. I mean, shaitan is never going to say, yeah, yeah, commit zina. No, shaitan doesn't say that. Because if he says that, then what will you say? No, no, astaghfirullah. Right? But what happens step by step? Gradually, he takes a person into a situation where emotionally he's so attached to the other, he feels so needy for the other, that cannot refuse, cannot say no. So, لا تقربوا zina. Don't even go near zina. Keep away from it for your own good. Because إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً Indeed, it is something fahisha. What is fahisha? Absolutely indecent. Bad. Fuhush. And remember that fuhush are such sins which are of sexual nature, right? So it's just wrong. It's bad. It's a grave sin. It's seriously disgusting. It's a horrible crime. Whose effects are not just limited to those who are engaged in this zina, but also others. Others will be affected by it. Think about it. One girl commits zina and the whole family is embarrassed. Go ahead. There is this common belief that Zina is because of the girl, because a girl is evil. That's not what I meant when I said that only if a girl allows, then a guy can proceed. The thing is that it's not just because of the girl. 
Both are guilty. Which is why a zani was zaniya. Both are guilty. The man and the woman. However, the thing is that the man can be desperate. But he cannot do anything with her unless she agrees. Unless she says, okay, I will go with you. I will hang out with you. Rape is something else. I'm talking about zina. So, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا zina. Don't even go near it. Because إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَ Indeed, it is a horrible crime. It is immorality. وَسَاءَ sabila And evil as a way. Meaning it's such a bad way. Bad way of what? Fulfilling your desires. Fulfilling your desires. I mean, I'm sure you guys watch movies and what do you see? That girls, what happens with them? They're with a guy and the guy is then, you know, he just leaves her. Or he's just nowhere to be found. He just has fun with her and he moves on. Or she falls into it and then she realizes she doesn't want him anymore. Because she saw another side of him. She saw a different side of him when she was so intimate with him. So what do we learn here? That this is a very irresponsible way of fulfilling your desire. Sexual desire, this is within a person. But just like eating, just like drinking, for everything, for every desire, for every need, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us a way of fulfilling that. Such a way because of which we will not suffer. Because these pleasures are supposed to bring satisfaction, they're supposed to bring happiness to a person. And if they are taking a toll on his health, they're taking a toll on his mental health, then this is a problem. This is the reason why alcohol is forbidden. Because when a person drinks alcohol, what happens to him? What happens to him when he's drunk? He's humiliating himself. Look at the way he's walking. Look at the way he's talking. Look at what he's talking about. Look at the way he's puking. And so many times it happens, people are driving when they're drunk and they kill somebody. Right? So, drinking, good things, you know, something that you will enjoy drinking, this is a natural desire. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us what to drink and what not to drink. Why? Because of our own good. Now when a person fulfills their sexual desire, like this through zina, this is an irresponsible way. Why? Because what guarantee do you have this person with whom you've been so intimate with is actually going to be with you? Is actually taking responsibility of you, of the child, if you were to become pregnant? Go ahead. Assalamualaikum. I just think that zina hurts the woman more in almost all the cases than it does with the man because it's her body and the guy can just move on. And even in this society where it's so common, like people look down on women who are sexually active and they call her like all sorts of things like slut or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for males, they just get away with it and it's cool if they do it. So I think like I recently got married and I think that marriage is like so beautiful because it's a whole process and it takes so long. But like... There's lots of rights that are put in place, especially for the woman. Like the woman's given the meher, the parents are involved. Like everyone is there to protect each other's rights. And like your husband is qawam over you. He is the one who's going to care for you and love you and provide for you. It's not just, you know, the intimate aspect. It's, it's more than that. It's a whole relationship and there's lots of security and protection. And if the woman does get pregnant, everyone's happy for her, right? Exactly. So that's what you want in exactly. life. 
there is responsibility on both sides there is companionship there is love there is family you know this beautiful bond that comes with marriage and this is why the best thing that can happen to two people that love one another is what nikah assalamualaikum i'm acquainted with revert sister she's a student here during the weekdays but she was sharing a story where her current husband he's muslim and for whatever reason he proposed to her before she accepted islam and she was saying that how surprised she was she was like floored that he would agree to spend his life with her like take care of her without having been intimate with her because she was saying her previous relationships when she was intimate with people they would really just leave her and she couldn't imagine someone wanting to stay with her for her character and like who she was instead of her physical aspects exactly so because marriage is not just you know looking at the sexual aspect of life but more than that there is going to be companionship a family is going to be raised here assalamu alaikum i was thinking about you know how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying don't go even near zina i was thinking about the story of two brothers who left their sister with a alim or monk yeah, he was a worshiper yeah. a monk and how slowly slowly the shaitan you know made him, him do zina. everything everything to the extent that he did zina he did murder and at the end of the day he did sajda in front of shaitan so shaitan is not really after people who are out there doing zina shaitan is really after people who are not doing this who are practicing because he knows those people already are worshippers of shaitan so people who are really practicing they should not feel that we are they are safe you know because shaitan is really after those people and over here like i mentioned earlier these desires are natural allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put them in us and he has also taught us how to fulfill them in the correct way for our own good so one way is of zina and the other way is of marriage of nikah and this is where it's very important for us to realize that we should make nikah easier we should make it easier i'm talking to the mothers over here the aunties over here you're not going to find the most perfect daughter-in-law you're not going to find the most perfect son-in-law If your son wants the perfect woman then he has to wait until he can get to jannah because there inshallah there will be a lot of beauty and perfection in every way however here he has to settle with somebody so same with the girls please stop looking for that ideal ideal guy okay i mean live in the real world come out of that dream world and realize that people are faulty if they have one good quality they will have three bad qualities also so accept the good Assalamualaikum. If you think about it, the family is the most basic structure of society. It's where the children are raised, they're taught manners, and just everything grows from the family unit. And if the family unit is ruined because of zina, which a lot of the time that is the reason that the family unit is like ruined or accusations and things like that, it destroys the entire society or the group of people around it. So zina not only affects the family, the girl, the, the man, whoever it may be, it affects the entire community that is around it. Exactly. And... keep away from zina whether you're married or you are unmarried for everybody they have to keep away from zina let's listen to the recitation wala taqtulu auladakum khashyata imlaqin nahnu narzuquhum wa iyyakum inna qatlahum kana khita'an kabira wala taqrabu zina إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا 